Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 877. This passage of Scripture in my sermon will be a concluding word to a wonderful, wonderful week of VBS here at our church. The Lord really blessed our time, and I want to turn to a passage that I think speaks well to... Um, the unconventional blessing that our children are for us. Verses 15 through 17. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The word of the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, give us childlike faith, childlike wonder, childlike love, childlike adoration, childlike humility. Teach us to be children, those who belong to your kingdom. And as your children, O oh Father, overwhelm us with your love your pleasure, your affirmation, your delight in your children this morning. Spirit, move among us, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. When um, we brought our first son 13 years ago home from the hospital, uh, Abby, unfortunately, was suffering from a uh, spinal headache that she got from her Epidural. I'd never heard of that before, but essentially she had to uh, lay flat on her back for a week because if she raised her head up at all, uh, it would immediately induce just an excruciating migraine level headache. And so what this meant is that I found myself uh, completely in charge of the first week of our first child's life. Now, I know on Father's Day we're supposed to honor fathers in their important role in a child's life, but let me tell you what I learned the first week of my son's life. I'm kind of pointless at that point. At least it's, it pertains to caring for the needs of a newborn. I didn't have a clue uh, what I was doing. I'd never changed a diaper in my life. I probably can count on one hand the amount of babies I'd actually held in my life. And so Abby, from her bed, would give instructions and I would do my best to follow them. Well, one time after I brought um, 
after I brought Holt to Abby for feeding, she was uh, taking a much-needed nap right after she had fed Holt, and I'm holding him, wondering, what am I supposed to be doing with this child? And I thought, well, I guess I'm the dad, so I'm supposed to play with it, I suppose. Let's give that a shot. How do you play with an infant? I don't know. So this is my idea. I'm laying on the couch after a feeding, mind you, holding him over my head again after a feeding, kind of doing this up and down thing. If Abby was awake, she would have noted, that's a bad idea. She wasn't awake. Well, he did exactly what a newborn baby being held in the air, head hanging down with an idiot dad, moving him up and down, would do after feeding. He vomits. Now, I know preachers are notorious for illustration exaggeration. There is no embellishment to what I'm about to tell you. It was a direct shot into my mouth. (laughs) I kid you not. Not one drop of vomit landed anywhere but inside my mouth. (laughs) And I am not ashamed to admit, especially since that newborn is now a teenager away at camp and won't hear this, I did have a fleeting thought, what have we done? Our perfect, free, happy, newlywed life interrupted by around-the-clock care for this helpless creature who needs everything done for him and in return vomits in my mouth. All right, in our passage this morning, Jesus is going to say that that picture, that helpless, needy, newborn child, in all of his helplessness and inconvenience, is actually the role model of the kingdom of God. According to Jesus, we actually have to learn from him, even become like him. That's what's before us in this passage. And we're going to look at it in three ways. We're going to look at the model of the kingdom, the demand of the kingdom, and then the reward of the kingdom. Let's start with what Jesus holds out as the model of his kingdom, verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Now, chances are you've probably heard that this, this passage before, but I wonder if you maybe pictured little toddlers coming to Jesus. But notice Luke mentions infants. He wants us to imagine mothers bringing their helpless newborns who have no idea what's going on to present them to Jesus for his blessing. What this is is infant baptism before baptism is instituted. They want Jesus to offer his promise, his blessing, his touch over their covenant child. And continue on. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked these mothers. They rebuked them. Now that might seem harsh to you, but it was culturally appropriate. Uh, Whereas our culture is exceedingly child-centric, their culture was the opposite extreme. Their attitude towards children was simple. Stay out of the way, stay quiet until you're a teenager and you can start contributing something. And so the scene is the rabbi, the respected rabbi, is engaging in adult, important conversation, and these parents dare interrupt him with their infants. That's why the disciples rebuke them. But Jesus sees it differently. Look at verse 16. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He's not just receiving them. He's saying, 
that his very kingdom belongs to them. Infants are not just welcomed in the kingdom of God. They are the rulers of the kingdom of God. They are the model citizens of the kingdom of God. The heroes of this new world that Jesus has come to establish. What is he talking about? Well, let me first say what he is not meaning here. It would be a temptation, especially again in our uh, baby-obsessed culture, to think that Jesus is pointing out the fact that you know, babies are uh, cute and blameless and naive to evil and cuddly. And so the point he's making is that the citizens of my kingdom should be innocent and cute and uh, all of that. That, has, that actually is the opposite of the truth he's trying to establish here. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God belongs to newborns because newborns offer us a window into our truest self. How so? Well, they offer nothing, and they need everything. The placement of this story is very important to understanding it. It's sandwiched between two separate accounts of people who seemingly offer everything and need nothing from Jesus. So before this scene, Jesus encounters very proud, uh, self-righteous, self-sufficient Pharisees who approach Jesus as if they have it all figured out. They know it all, and they don't need anything from Jesus. In fact, Jesus needs them to correct his theology. Then directly after our story is a rich and powerful leader who comes to Jesus with a charade of humility, but it quickly becomes obvious that it's a false humility, that in his estimation, he likewise needs nothing and offers everything. And then standing in between are helpless babies. Contrasting the self-sufficient, self-commending, self-reliant, self-righteous stories is this lovely three-verse interlude where Jesus identifies infants as the rulers of his kingdom. Why? Why wouldn't Jesus want to run his kingdom like everything else in our world operates and entrust it to the most powerful, the most competent Because as we have noted repeatedly in our study on the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom is a subversive kingdom that is counterintuitive to the world as we know it. And so not surprisingly, the models, the the rulers of his kingdom are not the powerful, like we would expect, but the powerless, truly the helpless. And there's a reason for that. The kingdom of God is all about the glory of the king. If the kingdom of God were filled with people who needed nothing from Jesus and had everything to offer, then the excellence of the kingdom would be found in its membership. Oh, how special are the members of the kingdom. But if the members are helpless, if they offer nothing and need everything, if they are infants, then the story of the kingdom becomes the might of The sufficiency, the power, the provision, the salvation, the excellencies of the king himself. And Jesus will have it no other way, which is why he takes it up a notch in the next verse. Let's look now at the demand of the kingdom. Verse 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. With that verse, Jesus is looking us square in the eyes and saying, I'm serious about this. This is not some cute, endearing illustration I'm making here. I really mean it. If you don't approach the kingdom of God this way, you will miss the kingdom. The only way to enter the kingdom of God 
is like a helpless newborn child. So what does that mean for us? Well, it's good news and it's bad news. Let me start with the bad news. Here's the bad news. To follow Jesus, you are going to have to forsake the game that is natural to every single one of us. You're going to have to give up what we are conditioned to do since our first parents first chose to do it. Did God really say that you could not eat of the tree? The enemy says to Eve, she says, he told us that we must not eat of it or we will die. And Satan says, you will not surely die for God knows that if you eat of the fruit, you will become like him. So the woman took the fruit and ate and gave also to her husband who was with her and he ate. And from that point forward, the charade of self-sufficiency begins. It is, it is inescapably ingrained within our fallen nature. We don't want to surrender. We want control. We don't want dependence. We want independence. We don't want to be told what to do. We want to make our own rules. We don't want to bow down. We want the throne. We don't want the kingdom of God. We want the kingdom of self. And in our passage, Jesus is saying, you're going to have to lay that down. You're going to have to lay down the vain game that every single one of us plays. You're going to have to renounce your self-reliance, your self-determination, your self-sufficiency, your self-righteousness, and whatever other word you want to put behind self. You're going to have to renounce it all and cry out like a baby. Jesus holds up a helpless baby and says, this has to be you. So that's the bad news. To be a child of the kingdom requires a humbling so deep that you have to forsake everything that comes natural to you. But, you know what? That's actually really good news when you view it rightly. Would you have preferred Jesus to choose someone else as the model of his kingdom? What if he had said, let the Pharisees come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God? Could you imagine trying to keep up with their morality and religious zeal in order to enter the kingdom of God? What if he would have said, let the successful come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God? Could you imagine the pressure to succeed in order to enter the kingdom of God? What if he said, let the scholars come to me? For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Could you imagine your intellect and education being a requirement for the kingdom of God? Or worst of all, what if he pointed to himself and said, if anyone does not receive the kingdom of God like me, they may not enter it. What if perfection were the requirement? Of course, it's tough to hear our Savior demand that we become like a helpless, dependent child. And yes, it requires deep repentance and humbling on our part. But would you prefer the alternative? That alternative is offered to you if you want it. Every other religion, philosophy, and system of this world functions in a way that is natural to us. Prove yourself worthy and you will be accepted. If you want that game, you can go play that game. But Jesus, bless his name is offering you the opposite. It is the Savior's love to hold up an infant as your ambition. Because you know what he's saying to you? It's okay to be who deep down you know you are. 
Jesus is not saying strive to obtain strive to obtain something that you are not. He is saying own and confess who you truly are. God and God alone needs nothing and offers everything. You're not God. But the good news being announced to you in this passage is you don't have to be. Friends, I don't know all of you well, but this is what I know about every single one of you. You are exhausted. How can you not be? Going about your days, trying to prove yourself worthy to everyone. You could keep that exhausting game yourself with that vain pursuit up, or you could just give up. This passage is saying to you right now, it's okay to give up. In fact, he's demanding you give up that game. Admit you are weak and need to be rescued. That you are empty and need to be filled. That you are desperate and you need his salvation. That you are broken and you need to be made whole. That you are sinful and you need his grace. You offer nothing and need everything. And it's okay to admit it. And make no mistake about it, this message is for Christians and not just non-Christians. Yes, of course, I offer this amazing, amazing offer to those of you who would not call yourself a Christian, this blessed opportunity to give up and give yourself to Jesus. That is the offer before you. But I think we all fall into this trap of thinking that people need this message to get into the kingdom of God, but once you are in, then it's time to start earning your keep. Wrong. Every day for the rest of your life, indeed throughout eternity, it will be the same song and the original song of creation. We are needy. God is the provider. In fact, that is what growth in the kingdom looks like. Growing into dependence not independence. Realizing we need God more, not less. And so to all of us, the unbelieving and the seasoned believer alike, the call is saying, cry out like a baby for Jesus Christ. And every time that cry will be heard and will be answered. Let's close with the reward of the kingdom. Luke's account of this story ends in verse 17. But I love how Mark's gospel ends. I want to close with Mark 10, 16. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The call to become a child is humbling, but it ends in the arms of the Savior. I don't care how old you are, how powerful, successful you are, how strong and independent is your facade. I don't care. You're not fooling God. Deep down, inside, is a yearning for the arms of God. And I know it's there because God placed it there. You were made for the arms of God. It says he took them in his arms and he blessed them. That's what you're looking for. Behind your desire for success, behind your desire for power, behind your desire for fame, behind your desire for wealth, behind your desire for control, 
behind every pursuit that you are turning to to find a blessing that is not there, behind that exhausting pursuit is a desire to be in the arms of God receiving the affirmation of His blessing. Pastor friend of mine, Brian Habig, likes to say, all we do all day long is walk around asking each other, do you like me? That's life. That quest for affirmation, that quest for a blessing only ends when you hear your God say, yes, I do like you. We are literally dying for the blessing of God and to have it will be our ultimate reward. He took them in his arms and blessed them. That's the blessing you seek every day. Then it says, laying his hands on them. That's a touch you have never felt before, but a touch you must have. Those are hands that will never abuse, never exploit, never harm, never push away, never fail, never let go. These hands will always only love, and they have scars to prove it. Scars that forever prove there is nothing he would not do for his helpless children. Turn to the first week of my fatherhood. I vividly remember waking up in the middle of the night to crying, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't Holt crying. Abby was sitting um, in a rocker, crying in agonizing pain from this spinal headache, holding Holt in her arms. I thought she was trying to give me a much-needed break and some sleep. And I said, babe, it's okay, I got it. You can go back to bed. But through tears of pain, she said, I just want to hold my baby. She didn't care how much it hurt. Holding her child was worth it. Welcome to the gospel, friends. The deep agony of Gethsemane, the unmeasured sufferings of Calvary, the fullness of God's judgment, Fierceness of hell's wrath, the darkness of the tomb, nothing. There is nothing he will not do for his children. He can't help himself. He loves his helpless children. Will you be his helpless child? I want to ask you a simple question. Are you too mature for a passage like this? It's not the kids that I'm worried about this morning. They get this. I'm worried about teenagers and college students beginning their quest of proving themselves to everyone. I'm worried about the competent adults reveling in their life success. I'm worried about the older among us who fear to admit any weakness. I'm worried about independent women and macho men. I'm worried about the mature, not the immature this morning. Please listen to me. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how successful you are. I don't care what measure of worldly maturity you have attained. Right now, deep down in your soul, there is a child desperate to be taken up in the strong arms of Jesus. To have him lay his hands upon you and bless you. To have the Savior's delight not because of what you offer, not because of what you have achieved, for no other reason than just you, child, belong to him. This week, our church was filled with hundreds of children 
who began their day with an uninhibited, childlike song of childlike faith. I want to read the lyrics for you. This is what filled our hallways all week. God's love never fails. It lasts forever. Our God is great. Our God is great. My God is with me. Yes, he's with me wherever. Our God is great. Our God is great. He's an awesome God. Bigger than my wildest dreams. Monumental love. Eternal hope for you and me. Because he's an awesome God. Our God's an awesome God. God is in charge. He watches over me. Our God is great. Our God is great. My God is strong and will never let go of me. Our God is great. Our God is great. He is an awesome God. Bigger than my wildest dreams. Monumental love. Eternal hope for you and me. Our kids singing those words was not a cute, endearing moment for you to enjoy. That is your rebuke. More than that, that is your discipleship. Are you too mature to join them? If so, you're too mature for Jesus. But if you will join them, if you will admit that you are a child who offers nothing and needs everything, you will find the arms of a Savior who needs nothing but offers you everything. Let me pray. Give us this, Lord. Humble us. Bring us back. Pray particularly for our seasoned saints of the Lord who have been walking with you for decades. Bring them back to childlike wonder and love. And, oh, Heavenly Father, may we feel your delight and pleasure, especially as we come to this table. This is the table for children. This is not the table for the mature but the immature. Not for those who have it together, but for those who are desperate. May we come forth with childlike faith. Through Jesus we pray.